feel more relaxed. I feel more at ease and able sometimes to just bridge the gap between you guys and, and me and what the Lord has placed on my heart. So I think being the nature of the message today, I want to be down here a little bit closer. Of course, I'm not a, I'm not a, spit, I'm not a spitfire preacher, so everyone is safe. Everyone is safe. I, I'm going to not preach that way today. So we are going to be looking in the Bible. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible, we're going to be looking as our main passage in James chapter number 4. James chapter number 4. I love the book of James. And as a kid, it was one of the books that I was able to I was at a Christian school, and they had us memorize the entire book of James. And um, I can still remember a good portion of that. And uh, One of the advantages of being in Christian school, I encourage those, raise your hand if you're in a Christian school, I encourage, you know, the, that, that's awesome. I know it's not everybody's, it's not God's plan for everyone, but man, it does... It made a difference in my life, I can say that. I wasn't there my entire life, but I spent about half and half, half in Christian school and half in uh, uh, public education. And I see how both has impacted my life. But James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, um, let's go ahead and read this. It says this, it says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then, then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, the church in the book of James, and this, this, this letter here, the church, you know, it begins in James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. And it be, he, he goes on to tell the church, you know, they, they're in a scattered state. There's persecution going on. You know, just what we're experiencing right now, imagine if we were... We had to worry about, you know, literally losing our life for coming to church today. You know, because of someone's trying to, you know, persecute the church. And, you know, toward the end times, you know, the Bible, in the end times and as it gets worse and worse, we don't know what the future holds when it comes to some of this and the persecution. I know that uh, we're all looking forward to the rapture, the rapture of the church, but that doesn't mean that before that event, there's not going to be um, a lot of persecution that comes, you know, upon the world. And 
Jesus even said that, you know, the disciples are not greater than their master. If Jesus suffered, don't find it weird that we sometimes have to suffer and go through things. Okay? But the first thing I want to look at is in verse 14. It says, whereas ye know not. I want you maybe to underline that in your Bible. Whereas ye know not. I'm going to use some poor grammar, but I'm a no-notter, okay? That's part of my messages today, is that I am a no-notter. What do you mean by that, Brother Josh? I don't know what tomorrow will bring. Look at this passage of Scripture. It says that, you know, we say that we're going to go and buy and sell and get gain. And some of us can't even get a, a pack of toilet paper right now. Amen? <laughs> uh, I like what someone, someone said on the internet this week. They said, you know, I'm, I'm, not wash, I'm not shaking hands with people this week. And, you know, it's not out of my precaution and concern about the coronavirus, but it's primarily due to my caution concerning the supply of toilet paper in the world right now is why I'm not shaking hands with people. But... Um, so, you are a no-notter, okay? Everyone in the church that James that was writing to was a no-notter. Uh, and they didn't know there could be no promises made what tomorrow will bring. We don't like that as Christians. We don't like to be a no-notter. You know, we like to believe we can predict and see, I know what's going to happen to my children if I put them in this school. And if I get them the right friends. No, you're a no-notter. You are a no-notter. You say, well, if I bring them to church, yes, does the Bible promise that if you, you know, train up a child in the way he should go? Yes, there are promises in the Bible. But there are so many things that we just do not know. We're, we are no-notters. And some of you need to realize that. And maybe there's, you know, you, you were great at being a child or you were great at being a young adult. But now you're in that state of, I don't know how to be, you know, 50 years old. And, uh, you know, uh, me and my husband's relationship has changed now. It's different now that I'm, in this state, or maybe, you know, now that my children are not, I can't just pick them up and, and squeeze them and love on them, I'm, I'm challenged with how to, to love them the way God wants me to love them. How do I do it in a different way? How do I do it in a more mature way as they grow up? You're a no-notter, you know? And I tell you, this year I have been in that state of mind, let me just tell you, you know, um, I think as I've been praying through my life a little bit the last year, I think one of the things that has, has held me up at times is I'm a fearful person sometimes. That I have this fear of failure. I have this fear, and it happened to me, and began to happen to me as a young person. Uh, some of y'all don't know, but I was not the best teenager. I was, and Andy, don't tell Andy, 
Melissa, but I want the best teenager sometimes. And, you know, I didn't try in school, and I began to fail. I began to, you know, I got so behind that I couldn't even, there wasn't no catching up. You know, and, and then I began to believe, well, maybe I just can't do it. You know, and then I started getting depressed. Started suffering a little bit from depression. And, you know, I wind up quitting high school, you know, going to get my GD. You know, and then when you get depressed, if you don't know, your mind starts to race and you can't concentrate, you can't focus. And I start going to these jobs and I can't remember what these people are telling me to do. I can't think straight. And it began to build a lot of doubt and fear that, man, I've done messed myself up somehow. You know, I, I was just going to try later, you know, when I first quit, stopped trying, I was going to try later, but now, even when I try, I can't do that, I'm a no-notter, I'm just struggling, and at that point in time in my life is when I knew God had a calling in my life, and I remember going out to my brother's truck, he had a truck, he had a bunch of trucks, but he had one, I don't think, it may have been running, but I just knew I could get out there and cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not good at anything right now. I can't, I can't focus, I can't think. You know, I'm depressed. I had just broken up with my girlfriend, that, you know, that high school sweetheart for two years, you know. Life was just terrible. I just felt like such a loser. And then I began to pray, and God began to remind me, I've got a calling in your life. And if you will surrender it to me, I can restore and fill the gap of what you don't know. As long as you're willing to come to me where you're at, I can fill in the middle. You know, the Shekinah glory of God, you know, how, it, how God's glory comes between the cherubim and fills the mercy seat. If we leave that middle open for God, he'll fill it. But you have to be a no-notter. And you have to sit in this seat and say, I do not know, but I know God. And when that happened to me, I remember crying out in that truck and saying, Lord, I... You know, I was still smoking cigarettes, and I was still, you know, doing things I didn't need to be doing. But the pat, my pastor friend told me, you need to go visit the Coral Falls College. And I remember riding up there, you know, and, uh, man, it just felt so out of place. You know, like, I just don't belong here. But, you know, I said, God, I'm going to go anyway. And I remember being so afraid and fearful. You know, how am I going to, I couldn't even pass high school. How am I going to go to college? You know? So I began to study and study. And I remember the very first test we had in college. It was the life and revelation of Christ. And it was all about the New Testament. And, uh, you know, so I was panicking. I was overstudying. I was reading and memorizing and and, you know, it's a bunch of freshman kids fresh out of high school. I already had a couple of years of working in the real world. So I knew what was coming. These professors were serious. They weren't playing. You know, I didn't see them as a teacher anymore. I saw them like a foreman on a construction site. I'm like, I better get this 
They said, learn this. You better learn it. So I remember the very first test. That, that 95% of the class failed the first test. And he said that he was going to cancel the test. He said, but one person made a 115, got all the bonus, got every question right. And he said, because of that, there's no way I'm calling off this. So everybody was mad, like, well, who made 115? And I didn't think I was, you know, I still, my faith and my, you know, my fearfulness, you know, when I went and looked up there and saw that and made a perfect score. From that point, <laughs> from that point on, I knew that God had restored my mind, that he had restored my ability, and that he had, you know, that I could trust him if I can do that. It was almost a bad thing, because I'm like, well, man, maybe I don't have to try <laughs> You know, but that was a testimony that God used in my life that if I call you to do something, you know, uh, what's the saying I'm trying to think of right now? Y'all know what I'm saying. Who he, who he guides, he provides, or who he calls, he equips. But you got to be a no-notter. If I would have went to school and, and, and had bypassed that moment of being vulnerable, I would have never got the blessing. Okay? And that's what I want you to understand today. We're in a state of, we're, you're going to have to be a no-notter. The world is, you know, things are coming down that we don't know. I mean, I, this message is not to bring any fear, and I don't want to try to get people fearful concerning what's going on right now. But I don't want people to miss what God is trying to say to you. I don't want to bypass what God is trying to say to you. You know, what is it that, what is it that you need, that what is it going to take, rather, for you to humble yourself? in your marriage, in your job, with your children, with your relationships, praying for this person for years and for years, or you're trying to, you know, as long as you are in the middle and you are the one trying to, I'm going to try a different tactic, Brother Ronnie. That's what I need to do, right? That's the way to do it. Go at it a different way. A new tactic, a new mindset. You know, more effort. But bypassing God, not allowing Him, He wants us in that vulnerable state. He wants us where we need Him. Because when that happens, He will come and He will fill that gap. He will come and He will, you know, live and preside there in the middle where we need God's grace. Are you a no-notter? Go to now, ye that say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a city, continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not, you know not what shall be of the morrow. I make this joke occasionally, but that's one thing that, you know, Brother Randy, uh, every time you've been around him enough, when you're leaving, he always, uh, you know, I'll say, well, Brother Randy, I'll see you later. And what's Brother Randy going to say? 
just say, Lord willing. You know, that's when I start checking my tires. What does Brother Randy say that? Something going on. My, somebody cut my brake line. <laughs> you know, no, but it's true. We do not know, you know, but it's okay to be a no-notter. You know, and that's the testimony of my family. You know, my dad, being 75 years old, was told at 36 years old he had six months to live. That his heart was so bad. And from that point on, and he had that same moment, but different than me, he had a moment where he cried out to God and said, God, I don't want to die, but I can't live thinking I'm going to. And God gave him peace. Gave him a verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know. See, now we, we can be no notters, but this we can know. That all things work together for good. For them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. That we can know. And he said when God gave him that verse, he made a promise in his heart. God, He felt God told him, Jerry, you're not going to die. I hadn't even been born yet. And, you know, <clears throat> you know, and Dad, one of the verses that, you know, Dad's always given me, 2 Timothy 1 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he knew that day that he wasn't going to die. So he went back to work. They said, your arteries are 90% blocked. All three of them are 95% blocked. He went back to work. Was able to work. Was able to do everything until 98 when he finally had a bypass. But, you know, even then, last time we went to the doctor, 2015 or 16, doctor, the, the Jewish doctor there that's been there forever, What's his name? Uh, I can't think of it. But anyways, he said, when uh, we were asking, well, what do you think we should do? He said, well, let me tell you this. Everybody that I operated on in the 90s are dead. They're not here anymore. You know? He said, that surgery is not supposed to last 20-something years, you know, that I did. He said, and, uh, but it's just a testimony. But when you are willing, it's a vulnerable place, yes. But when you're willing to be a no-notter about the things that you cannot control, I cannot control what's going on in the world right now, cannot control this virus, I cannot control my, you know, I can't, there's a lot of things that I cannot control, but I can control who I believe in. I know who I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to do that. God is able. Are you a no-notter? I want to ask during this time, and we're not, I'm just doing this message a little bit different. We're going to continue. But I'm going to ask uh, Brother Ronnie if you would pray for us right now during this time concerning what we don't know, but that we know God and that he will keep us safe. And we're just going to, you know, our president has requested today be a, a day of prayer, our governor, our pastor. So we, I want to incorporate that into service this morning.
So, Brother Ronnie, would you be the first? And we're going to have at least two or three other men if you want to go ahead and be gathering your mindset and ready. But I know Brother Ronnie's a man of prayer. So, Brother Ronnie, pray for us this morning, brother. Yes, God doesn't want us to be fearful. And, uh, you know, one of my passwords at work, you know, I use that for my password. Every time I get on a certain uh, program, I'll enter that as my password. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. And that reminds me, every time I'm going to fix this issue, that there's an answer. If I just be patient and trust in the Lord, he's going to see me through. And every time, you know, think about your life. Think about the things you've been most afraid of. And if you were brave enough and courageous enough to put it in God's hands, you know, he'll bring you through. And you could probably testify to the fact that something that you, you know, um, I think, you know, I hate to keep bringing up Brother Ronnie, but I think about uh, y'all all the time and what, you know, what, how God's brought you through with, uh, with, with Carrie and, and how, I mean, I just seem like life would never, ever go on, I'm sure. But God has blessed and graced your life. And just know we still pray and think about y'all. But your testimony that God can come in and he can help and he can guide in his presence and his glory can get us through anything. So I appreciate y'all's testimony in that. Let's move on, verse 15. 
It says, for that ye ought to say. Okay. So he don't leave us hanging. There's something we ought to do. For that ye ought to say, for, uh, let's see, hold on. I lost, yeah. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. We just talked about the no-nots. Now we're going to talk about the will-nots. What do you mean by that, Brother Josh, the will-nots? Nothing, there is nothing that God, there's nothing that can happen to us that's outside of God's will. It will not happen. God is in control of everything. And, well, Brother Josh, what is going on now? Please help me understand. Does, is God all-powerful? Okay. Is God all-knowing? Is God all-loving? Well, how in the world can an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God allow things like this to happen? If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. I think about situations such as the tsunami that hit the Indian Ocean. Over 200,000 people died instantly. Some people were in, I think, if I believe I remember right, it was a Sunday morning. Many people in their, in their service. Imagine being in the service and talking about God's grace and God's love. and You're gone. How does that make sense? The will not. Not only do I've got to be at peace with the fact of the no-nots, the things I don't know, but I'm about to be at peace with God's will. And there's biblical perspective. If you study the Bible, you will find that God uses situations like this. Mark 4.41, I'm going to read it real quick. You don't have to turn... Uh, Unless you just want to try to beat me to be a show off. But um, Mark 4.41, it says, and this is with Jesus, and they were out on the water, and they feared exceedingly and said one to one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Does, does Jesus? That's a principle right now. Right there. Could God have stopped that tsunami? Sure. Did the winds obey Jesus or not? But we know from Scripture, I'm going to read Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 23. Let me read this to you. It says, I'll begin in verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. 
because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage, listen at this, of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. What is that telling me? That God has ordained this, the fact that we, that we will face corruption, futility, and even death. But God uses that. In the world, it's a call. It is to get, you know, it, oftentimes it can be because of judgment. God is, can judge the world. Look at the flood. But for us as believers... It's not that we know in Romans 8 that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. The things that we experience, if I get sick from, the, from this virus or if I get caught up in a tsunami, it's not that God was judging me, but I myself am part of this world. And God is judging this world. And God is, you know, that as a Christian, the Spirit of God is in me and I am my, my spirit inside is groaning and waiting for the deliverance from this body that, you know, that is still faces corruption and futility. And yes, God has removed the death of sting, the sting of death for believers. But we know that death still occurs. You know, that we are still part of this earth. He said that. He said that, that we ourselves... He said, not only they, but we ourselves. We're part of this earth and this creation. And this creation is suffering because God ordained it. Because of sin. And because of, you know, you know when there's a will, there's a way. I heard someone say something I hadn't really heard much in a while. I don't know if I'd ever heard this. But you know, when God gave the commandments, he also gave instructions for the tabernacle. Did you know that? See, the problem with Israel was they looked at it and said, this is things that we can do. You'll never fulfill the law. You'll never do the law. But there's always a way. The instructions. Build this. Do this. And you will, uh, will you still face, you know, persecution and things? Yes. But there's a place to be made pure. There's a purification process. And as Christians, God has given His, you know, God has given the commandments. He has given His commandments to the world. But you know what also He, he has given? He's given us His Son. He's given us the church. There's a place of judgment through the commandments, but there's a place of forgiveness and salvation at the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. What was that burden? It was the burden of being on earth and realizing that I'm a no-notter and I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. I don't know what my life is going to bring. What is my life about? 
if it's happening, it's because it's part of the will of God. I don't, I, it's hard sometimes for me to reconcile everything, but guess what? I'm not God's accountant. I know that, that, that Jesus Christ does the, the most just thing. Jesus never does the second best thing. If the second best thing was to, to totally wipe out this virus, you know, he never does the, the second best thing. He always does the very best thing. He never does the second smartest thing, which I don't even, I wish I could do the second smartest thing even half the time, or the third smartest thing. So because I know my track record, and y'all probably could say the same, I can trust him that there are some things that God is doing. Not only that, if you read over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you think I'm pulling your tongue, pulling your toe, we'll say. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29, and I think we have the Lord's Supper coming up, is it next week or soon, a couple weeks but many people don't read this passage, but it's very interesting. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine through 32, it says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastised of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So what am I saying right there? That sometimes God inflicts sickness and things like that even on his people. Is that what y'all just read? Did you read that? That don't sound like God. God would, do, God would make me sick. Yeah. If it'll get your attention... If it will, sometimes God will snuff out someone's life. If it will change, you know what? If snuffing out your life would change your trajectory, where when you go, when you go and, you know, if, if God snuffed out my life, right, if he knew I was going to turn into a, uh, what's something that wouldn't be, I don't know, uh, let's say I'm going to be a, uh, a sniper, some kind of, I don't know, what's something bad, y'all help me out. Uh, a bank robber, there we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a bank robber starting a couple weeks from now. And I just can't resist, you know. They're easy targets there in Covington. All right, so I decide to do that, but God decides to snuff me out tomorrow. Well, I should be all the most thankful for that. Because my rewards in heaven will be based on my life now. But if, it had, if I go on to be a bank robber, I think that's going to that's gonna hurt. That's going to hurt. I'm going to be riding around on a skateboard in heaven, you know. Everybody else is flying around, and yeah, I'm going to be on a skateboard if I even make it. So the point is, God will use sickness and things to even on his own people, but it's an act of mercy and not necessarily an act of judgment. 
hard to swallow sometimes. But we need to take seriously the sin that's in our life. One of the messages I almost preached this week was going to be titled, The Devil That You Do Know. What happens when the devil that you do know meets the God that you don't know? You know, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, we're worried about the coronavirus, but, you know, people aren't worried about eating that hamburger. It's probably going to kill them. You know, they ain't worried about smoking that cigarette. It's probably going to kill them. You know, they're not, worried, they're not slowing down. Not slowing down any people who drive sport cars. But, uh, yeah, we're not worried about it. It's oftentimes, and as Christians, we'll, we'll be worried about the thing that's way out there that we're, we're worried about. But what about the, the devil that we do know is the sin that you're comfortable with? The sin that you're comfortable with. You know, and that's, that, that's what he was saying. Don't get comfortable in my house. Don't get comfortable, you know, taking this, uh, don't, taking the Lord's Supper. This is a serious thing. God is a serious person. Somebody went to church that day with, the sin they, with, with some sin, the devil that they knew, and met the God they didn't. The God we don't know is the God that, that, is, 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 that we've forgotten about. The one that is serious about sin. The one who is serious about how we live our life. And that God that we don't know by don't know, I mean that we're not taking him seriously. What happens when he runs into that simple sin, the devil that we do know? Judgment. You know, God's wrath. But God hasn't destined us to wrath. He, if he does those things, it's because he's, he, he's being merciful. So these kind of things can happen. Um... And there's other examples on the world, such as Herod in Acts chapter 12, verses 23, when he had exalted himself. And in Romans 1, 27, when it talks about men with men who gave, them, gave over to lust and how the, the, the punishment would be basically you know, placed on them internally, that they would have some, you know, they could be sick, you know, get some kind of sickness or, or other things. So... But lastly, I also want to say that, you know, Job 42, Job says, Lord, don't you know all things? God is using things like this as a thunderclap to try to wake you up, to try to wake this nation up, that he is still serious, that his will is, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to, it's not just the no-nots that I need to be at peace with, but it's the will-nots. I need to be at peace with God's will and realize that God will not spare his rod. If God can get me where he needs to be, he's going to do it. If not, he wouldn't be the very best God. He'd be God B, but he's God A. We're dealing with God A. Right now, our, our school is under audit. They're coming in, they're looking at every book, everything, you know, in the lunch department and stuff. And it's kind of frustrating. But those people aren't there to give you breaks. So, oh, well, $100 here, $100 there. No, every finding they're going to bring to your attention and you're going to pay a price for it. Now, is God 
better than an auditor or not? Can he find things that they will never see? Not only will he find it, but he knows the reason you did it. You may not even have done it, but you thought about doing it. Finding in God's book. You, you may not ever killed somebody, but you got angry. You hated them. Finding in God's book. You may never committed adultery, but you think about it all the time. Finding God's book. That's the God that, that's the will nots. God will not. Forget these things. God, God is an awesome God. And we need to be at peace with his will. And, and, and through this situation, we need to realize that God is trying to get the attention of this world and even, yea, his believers. Lastly, but not, last but not least, turn back to James. It says, but ye, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. I want to live the Lord's will. Verse 16, but now you rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that doeth it, that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So not, first we talked about the no-notters and the will-notters, but now we're, we're looking at the do-notters. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. What is it that God has been talking to you about that you know you need to do, but you're not doing it? Over the next two weeks, I don't know what's going to happen with our church service. We may be back next Sunday. I don't know. But what are you going to do with that time? What is it that you need to do? You know what? If you don't do it, it's sin. It's not just something... We got to get out of the mindset of thinking that things that don't get done are just things that don't get done when it's part of God's will. And you are... He's put it on your heart. Not only is He concerned about sin, not only will He, will he get your attention... What about, has anybody ever read the book of Jonah? Now, is it a sin? Was, was it Jonah's responsibility to go to Nineveh as just a man any more than it is my responsibility to go to Nineveh? No. In his heart, it wasn't. And that was the battle, was realizing that God can make you and he can he, won't, he can control your priorities and he can, set your, he can set your pace and your route and you give you the direction and he will punish us if we don't do it. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So many things. God knows what they are. They probably need to be happening here at New Rocky Creek Baptist Church that aren't happening. And yes, we have excuses. We're busy. We're 
tired, we're, you know, we're, maybe we lack the uh, uh, manpower. But God doesn't look at it that way. I've asked you to do it. I remember when I was a kid, those excuses never got me out of trouble. You know, I told you to clean up your room. Well, I got busy. I, I, my, my next door neighbor came over and we, we went to, those things never got me out of trouble. Now, is God a better parent than our parents? Is he God B or is he God A? What is it that you've stopped doing maybe in the last couple years? You know, God's been speaking to me. You know, things that maybe I've lost or things that I, I want in my life. That I, want, I don't want to be, you know, James even tells us in other passages in James about, you know, someone who uh, looks in the mirror and, and they know what to do. They're a hearer of the word, that's what I was trying to remember, but not a doer of the word. Don't be a do-notter. Don't come to New Rocky Creek and be a do-notter. We have one life. What is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a little time. and vanishes away. For that you ought to say, the Lord wills we shall live and do this or that. What is it that God is calling us to do? What is it that God is speaking to us about this morning? Miss Nancy, I'm going to ask that you come. Is Tara still here? I know she says yes. If y'all will find us something. Um, but I want to encourage you. This is not a fearful message, I don't think. I think it's, it's the truth. I want you to be faced with the truth. That God is a real God. That He, you know, His His the things that He has for us to do are serious, and we need to realize that we are in a state of no, we are no notters. But that's the best place to be, because that's when my God shows up. That's when my God becomes Jehovah Jireh, the Provider. When those bills can't be paid. I like Brother Chris's testimony. He said he's never missed a paycheck. And, uh, you know, other people could probably say, I don't know how, but God did it. Whether it be a sickness, Brother Jim and Miss Betty, I know there's been a lot. God has brought you all through. And look around this room. Brother Ronnie just here recently. Everybody in here, Miss Marcia, with her heart, just everyone around here, Miss Debbie and brother, so many things. So it's okay to not know, but it's not okay to not do. And it's even worse to him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not. To him it is sin. And the, the interesting thing about that is that's different. What you know and what I know is different. What God wants you to do, what God wants me to do is different. But you know what? The result is the same. It's sin. Whatever God has for you, you're not doing. It's sin all the way around. And that's how God is. God, so we can't, that's why we can't be, we can't look around the room and look at what you do and what you don't do. 
he comes on Sunday night, he comes on Wednesday night. That ain't what it's about. It might be about that in God's book for you, but it might be God's more concerned about your attitude. God's more concerned about your relationships. God's more concerned about your, um, you know, your job or something right now that you're not being honest. But to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. Let's, I'll ask you to stand. The altar is open. And if you want to come and pray uh, for, our, for our nation, uh, we ask that you do that. Uh,